You're listening to Banter with the Boys. Talking all things sports. From betting and brawls, Super Bowl to Stanley Cup Finals. Get laced up. It's time for Banter with the Boys. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Banner with the Boys. We have had one heck of a week in the NFL with a lot of drama. We had free agency kickoff. We have a lot to talk about today. Let's bring everybody in. Joined today by two fine gentlemen. First, Mr. Smeltzy. How you doing? How you feeling? I'm feeling pretty nice today, Tyler. Pretty good. Um, Long week of work. I'm excited to wrap it up with a podcast. I can't lie. I hear you there, brother. Nothing better than talking some football on a Friday night, putting back some BLs. Gotta love it. And in front of me here, Cole, how are you doing, sir? Doing good. Couldn't stop checking my Instagram, checking all of the NFL updates. It just seems like so much has happened in such a short time, so happy to recap it here today. Yeah, I couldn't agree. My phone was just nonstop going off, and as a Packers fan, you know, I was constantly refreshing some Twitter feeds looking for certain something here, but we got some clarification we'll get into later. But let's start off with these free agency and a little bit of trades, too. It's not just going to recap free agency. We're going to go over some big moves that were made via trade as well, some game-changing potential out there. But let's kick it off with you, Smelty. What do you have here? So I'm going to go ahead and start off with uh, old James Bradbury resigning with the Eagles. Obviously, right now, everybody knows who he is because of that penalty in the Super Bowl. We're not going to talk about that because that has been already talked about so many times by others. Um, So we just won't be talking about that. But what people do tend to forget is that he was cut by the Giants the year before. So he signed a one-year prove-it deal with Philly. And I would go ahead and say that he absolutely proved it. He was the fourth best... uh, corner in the league as far as passer rating goes he only let up a 54.7 passer rating I mean that's almost nothing so that's a great move by the Eagles to retain Bradbury so he signed a three-year deal 38 million with 20 mil guaranteed with the contract worth up to 44 million with incentives I mean you have to re-sign that guy I mean he's all pro right now well, I'll talk about Darius Slay in a second, but at the moment, they didn't know if Darius was going to stay, get traded, released. They had no idea what was going on. And so when people asked Brad, Bradbury kind of why he resigned, he felt, quote, the Eagles were the best fit. And it meant a lot to him that the team wanted him back so bad. He just said it, it felt good to be wanted this late in his career. He's 29 years old and still looking to make plays. Yeah, the crazy thing about that is, you know, he he was released by the Giants. He had a bounce-back year with Philadelphia, and now he's finally getting the payday, and in my opinion, he deserves. I don't think he was deserving of being cut by the Giants. They were kind of a wreck at that point. And, you know, it was a team-friendly deal at that. He's only the 14th highest-paid corner in the league. So that's, you know, in my opinion, a really, really good deal. And uh, the Eagles, the Eagles, the Eagles, the Eagles have their number one and two corner locked down for the next couple of years. I'm happy for Bradbury. I mean, I thought he deserved to stay with the Giants even. I did not think he should have been cut. And I'm just happy to see him sign even longer. And I'm just excited to see him here in the NFL in the future. The other thing to note with the Giants as well is they're paying Adore Jackson more than James Bradbury is being paid by Philadelphia with this deal. Who won that? I think we all know the answer to that. (laughs) But uh, as we look at uh, the other side of the field from Bradbury, you got Darius Slay. And talk about a carousel with him, right? So March 10th, Eagles grant Slay permission to seek a trade. I mean, that threw me out 
like off balance almost. I, I'm no Eagles fan. Um, I'm a Vikings fan, so rest in peace, me. But like that was just crazy. I couldn't believe that they were possibly gonna trade this guy. Um, it, I don't know, it just threw me off. So then we move to March 15th. The Eagles are now set to release Slay with a post June 1st designation. Therefore, they get 17 and a half million cap. Rather than if they released him right away, it would have been 3.7. So definitely waiting till that June 1st. And then literally that night, uh, Slay went ahead and tweeted at about 10 o'clock, quote, back like I never left, run it back. So he was back. Slay ended up signing a three-year deal, which is exactly what he wanted from the beginning, at $42 million. That includes $23 million guaranteed. Slay is 32 years old. Is that worth it at this point in Slay's career? What do you guys what do you guys think? I don't know. It's also kind of interesting when you talk about the guaranteed, how close Bradbury really is to that guarantee. Especially because, I mean, arguably he hasn't proven himself as much as Slay in the NFL. So to get that guarantee, they they see who the real rising star is and who's probably gonna be there for the long term. Yeah, most definitely. I think the only thing that that led him to that decision was Bradbury's three years younger. You know, you don't often see 32-year-old players, let alone cornerbacks. I mean, take quarterbacks out of the equation here because that's their anomaly in the whole contract situation as a whole. But a 32-year-old quarterback making that kind of money, signing an extension, just goes to show how much actual work these guys put into their bodies nowadays and they can have the longevity that you just didn't have even 10 years ago. You know, it wasn't that long ago where cornerback shelf life was about 10 years and then you're talking about moving them into the slaughter or hybrid safety role to prolong their career. And, you know, guys are like Slayer just proving that wrong. It's really impressive, especially with cornerbacks like that. I mean, 32 now, especially with, like, the talent we have coming out of college, it's a complete different beast, right? Now you got guys coming out of college running four fours, like nothing, 35-inch verticals. It's a different beast to be that old and still get signed and still show to be, you know, earned a starting spot. It's pretty impressive. Well, and here's the deal. I mean, I'm not surprised he got some guaranteed money here. I mean, his first six games— he only gave up a 31.8 passer rating and had three picks. In the first six games of the season, I mean, everybody obviously knew who he was to begin with, but that put him back on the map at 32 years old. Weren't two of those picks against the Vikings? Next question. <laughs> um, and then, literally moving on, I, I don't want to talk about that, but he absolutely locked Justin Jefferson down. I was actually going to mark down those stats for me to bring up, and then I decided against it as a Vikings fan and a J.J. fan that we just don't need to talk about that anymore. He's obviously going to raise his game up. So, yeah, we'll, we'll forget about it. But I will bring up, back to Darius Slay, week seven through, through the Super Bowl now, including the Super Bowl, he gave up a 114.1 passer rating. Yeah, let that, let that settle in for a second. 114.1 passer rating, week seven through the Super Bowl. So knowing what he's still capable of at his age, at those first six games, and seeing how he ended the season, would you have signed him to that three-year deal, $42 million extension with $23 million guaranteed? That's a tough ask. That blows my mind that that's how he performed in you know, not even the later half of the season. That goes back to before the even halfway mark. So that, that kind of puts me in shock. But at, at the end of the day, you know, even if... I don't know. I mean, that's tough because even if Bradbury overtakes him, that's a lot of money you're paying for a number two corner. 
And I don't, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm asking this truly is, does he travel with the number one or do they just split the field half and half? Without like literally pulling that up right now, and from what I was reading earlier today, I think they kind of split it a little bit. They kind of play matchups, kind of see what's going on. Um, because Slay locked down JJ in week two or whatever it was when they played the Vikings. If they, they played the Vikings today, I don't think they're putting Slay on JJ. I think Bradbury's getting that job. So I think with him coming back, you can see that change next year. I think maybe Bradbury will follow the number one. I don't know. Because you can only imagine that Slay's speed might diminish just a little bit by next season. But I, I have no idea. Yeah, the interesting thing about that is there's a strategy that the Patriots have always used with their number one corner, whether it's Revis, whether it's Gilmore, that you take the number one corner, you put them on the number two receiver, you put your number two corner on the number one, and then put a safety over top, so you're giving them a double team automatically, where I could see that even kind of forming into that Eagles defense if Slay's production does keep kind of dropping off as is, where he just simply can't cover the number one. And, you know, like you said, Cole, you got receivers coming in, you know, the Garrett Wilsons, the Chris Olaves that are coming in, just burners running four threes, four fours, and have the rut running ability of some of a six, seven year Devontae Adams. You know, they're not to Devontae Adams right now, don't get me wrong, but in terms of where Devontae was year one versus what these cats are year one, like that's that's a tough question to see if, if the money really is worth it. Yeah, I mean, without again watching like every second of tape right in front of me. Slay's kind of feeling like, and not to, again, bring up my Vikings, but he kind of reminds me of like Antoine Winfield. Kind of now, he's kind of going to be following that slot guy a little bit. Kind of playing maybe almost nickel corner at this point, too. Like, I don't know. We'll see what they decide to do with him. And at the moment, you brought up this, having the safety over the top of, like, say, Slay. We don't know who they're playing at safety right now, which we'll, you know, I'll touch on that in a little bit. But at the moment, we have no idea who's going to be the safeties for the Eagles right now. Yeah, and I was definitely going to touch on that, too. I mean, just, like, with – you don't have, like, the Derwin James back there for you, right? You don't have those guys that can fly around the field. Um, so the, splitting the field kind of right now seems like the best move, uh, especially with the big wide receivers. I don't know. I don't see him going into the slot, though. I see him being outside corner still, uh, just with help over, help over top maybe, but he's still so good in short routes and all that. Well, one thing, again, not to bring up my Vikings, but Patrick Peterson. Kind, I mean – I think Darius Slay is still better than Patrick Peterson right now today, for sure. But like, I, we're getting into that same situation. Again, at the beginning of the year, I don't, I don't have the numbers for Patrick P in front of me. But I think, again, kind of like through the same uh, length of time that I was talking about Slay, those first six weeks, I think Patrick P killed it. And then as the season progressed, dude, he was just burnt toast. I, d- I don't know. Maybe he'll get rejuvenated in, with the Steelers now that he's there. Um, but I feel like Slay's kind of going that direction. I think the biggest thing with Slay you're going to see probably next year is, like Tyler was saying with the Patriots, having that a safety over top and keeping him on press maybe a lot more and really locking in that first 12 to 15-yard range. Yeah, I could definitely agree with that, you know, where he can still use his physicality and his brain behind it to be where he lacks up in the fit in the athleticism he can make up with just his overall knowledge of the game. You know, I, I could very easily see the Darrell Revis, Richard Sherman in the later years with Slay where, you know, they weren't what they were in their prime, but they're still a top 15 cornerback in the league. But you're not paying a 15 top 15 cornerback this kind of money. So it kind of translates back to what you were saying, Smelty, is, you know, if his level of production does drop off even a little bit, where it puts him in that 10 to 15, 10 to 20 range, you're paying him way too much at that point. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Do you guys know the tackles difference on these two corners between the uh, Slay and Bradbury? I don't, but I can get that number for you here. Quick. Because that's that's a big deal too. I mean, that kind of would translate more into where we're seeing more on a press, who we might be seeing more on a number two, or who can you know disrupt that pass game and their run game. And but, n- yeah, I'm sorry, I didn't mean yeah, to cut yeah. you off, and not and not to bring this up because this is not the only thing that matters. But you know how I mentioned that Slay had three picks in those first six games. He had none the rest of the season. Zero. Yeah, if you look at the tackle stats there, so Slade did have more at 55, but Bradbury had 44. So the difference isn't astronomically different. Same interceptions with both of them having three. But, uh, yeah, that, that much of a difference, I don't know. I don't know if that would play a deciding factor with it so small of a gap there. Yes. Which, I mean, as a, as a cornerback, though, 10 tackles is, you know, that can be a substantial amount, but... Especially on corner two, I mean, they're not, you know, they're not all over the ball, right? I mean, they're, they're playing right now, especially with that low of tackles on a season. They're more so coverage guys. So you could easily see them floating around on that. Yeah, the other thing with that as well is how this Philadelphia defense is built is you're not relying on your corners to make those tackles. Their front seven's so good that if they're getting to the corners, then they're, they're failing that run, you know, 75, 80% of the time because that's just not how their defense is built. So, I mean, that could play a factor in it as well because if you look at, like, Jalen Ramsey – Interesting just to see what his tackle stats are when he's, you know, almost undoubtedly the most aggressive corner in the league, especially when it comes to tackling. Um, here, I'll get that number for you here real quick. See, it was 88. You look at 88 versus 55. So that's where you're – and, again, Jalen Ramsey, an anomaly. Like, no other corner is probably going to come close to that 88 number. But, the, yeah, that, that definitely goes to show just the difference in the overall defense. It's really impressive, especially with cornerbacks like that. I mean – 32 now, especially with like the talent we have coming out of college, it's a complete different beast, right? Now you got guys coming out of college running four fours, like nothing, 35 inch verticals. It's a different beast to be that old and still get signed and still show to be, you know, earned a starting spot. It's pretty impressive. I mean, yeah, Ramsey is definitely a difference maker. Two other big difference makers have got to be Tremaine Edmonds and Jordan Poyer. Obviously, I'm a New York kid, went to college in Buffalo, huge Buffalo Bills guy, losing Tremaine Edmonds, huge hit, went to the Bears, signed a four-year, $72 million contract, 50 mil of that being guaranteed. At the end of the day, it sucks losing him, but I'm just happy that that guy got paid. I think he deserves it, and I think he's got to be a maybe a top five you know, backer in the NFL. Might be a stretch there, but I think he's got such promise and such a bright future that he's got to be in that conversation. Dang, top five. I I really hope not uh, because him coming to the NFC North, I'm already not a big fan of. Um, The one thing that I'm definitely not a big fan of, but good for him, is in his five seasons, it looks like he's only missed six games. So as a Viking fan, I'm like, cool. So he's going to play every game pretty much, right? So, and he's almost got 100 tackles. Let's see, he's got over 100 tackles in two of those five and over 90 in in all of his seasons he's been in the NFL. So, I think I'm definitely not looking forward to a defensive playmaker in the NFC North. Yeah, I couldn't agree more, Smelty. The Bears had Roquan Smith, got rid of him, and replaced him with Tremaine Edmonds. I thought we could get away with them just signing TJ Edwards and then going with the, the rookie they had last year from Wisconsin. His name is slipping my mind right now if I'm oh that's gonna bother me um but nonetheless Tremaine Edmonds is a big signing I mean he turns out to be the fourth highest paid inside linebacker now and uh 
Yeah, I'm not looking forward to seeing him. Jake Sanborn. Jake Sanborn. There you go. Yeah, and he, he had a decent year. He came on in the later half of the year, so the Bears are putting together some young talent at that linebacker position. I'm not looking forward to that. Edmonds, too. I mean, I'm a Bills fan. I've loved him. He's all over the field for us, but you got to think, until last year, Matt Milano wasn't really looked at as you know one of the top linebackers. I mean, last two seasons, he's been the number one pass coverage linebacker in the NFL. Does that play some sort of role on Edmonds? Now, I'm not trying to badmouth Edmonds. I love the guy. I love what he did for the Bills. But does that play some sort of role? Does that take a lot off of Edmonds, him being so dominant? Yeah, that's going to be interesting to see, you know, how that truly does affect your defense. Because, I mean, I don't see anybody on the roster right now that can slide into that spot and have half the production Edmonds gave you. You know, because Milano's going to have to take on a bigger role. And he just got paid, too. So that's the thing is, like, you wouldn't be able to afford both of them. If you're going to take one, you being a Bills fan, I'll ask you this. Who would you rather have, Milano or Edmonds? Yeah, definitely. I'm taking Milano all day. I'm a huge Milano fan. I liked him for years. I thought he was underrated two years ago. I'm happy he got his recognition last year. But more so what I was meaning with that statement, um, how does that affect Edmonds going to another team? Do you still think he produces the same amount not having Milano next to him? Yeah, no, I don't think so. I think he's going to slot right in with the Bears, right where Roquan kind of left off. I think he's just going to eat up all those tackles right up the middle for sure. But also, I mean, we've seen a lot of great players go there and kind of decline. What about the Cleo Mack? You know, you got Cleo Mack going there, kind of going to die. Yeah, I would wholeheartedly disagree with that statement. If you were to look at Cleo Mack's numbers when he was on the Bears, he was one of the most productive edge rushers in the league. He didn't have the ultimate sack numbers, but his overall presence and what he did in the run game, he was an absolute force on the Bears. It was, I mean, if you, uh, this memory will always stay in my head, but I was at the in the, uh, the the game between the Packers and the Bears at Lambeau to open up the season for the, the NFL's 100th season, and Khalil Mack took over that game immediately as soon as Rodgers got hurt, which was Cleo Mack getting him injured, he got the ball from Hundley and took it back for a touchdown. Like, he put the Bears up so much that Packers came back to win that game. One of my fondest moments that I will forever have as a sports fan, especially a Packers fan, was at Lambeau, just ripping my jersey off and running up down the stands, swinging it around. But nonetheless, like, Cleo Mack was an absolute force for the Bears. Yeah, you're right. I was thinking more so when he went to a more dominant, or not maybe not a more dominant defense, but thinking of the Chargers. I was thinking the next team he went to. That's where he kind of went to die. Joey Bosa came in and definitely played a big role, but that's kind of where he went to die. And I'm thinking with Edmonds going to a team like the Bears, he thrived maybe just in the Bills system. Yeah, and the one thing I would say to counteract that it's I definitely it's not on Matt Milano's level, but that's why I think also signing TJ Edwards is gonna help with that that void per se, so it's not all on Edmonds. Now, don't get me wrong, TJ Edwards is not even remotely close to the level of Matt Milano, especially in past coverage. But you know, it's like he's gonna be the leader, he's gonna be the heart of that defense, but it's not gonna be all on him at that even inside backer position. Uh, uh what was the length of contract again? Four years. Four years. Okay, that's what I'm least excited about, I think, because he's still 24 years old, so now he's with the Bears for another four years. I, I'm just not looking forward to it, man. Like, I don't know what else I can say about it other than, like, he's going to be a young—he's 6'5", 250. I mean, for me, with Dalvin Cook staying, at the moment anyway, with the Vikings, like, Tremaine Edmonds is going to eat him for lunch. Like, seriously, right up the middle. I, I don't, I'm not looking forward to it. Yeah, one thing I certainly am looking forward to is seeing him and A.J. Dillon clash in the hole, though. 
Oh, that's going to be a force, for sure. I love A.J. Dillon. I hate to say that as a Vikings fan, but gosh, he's a force. That that one-two punch with Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon, that's one of the best in the league, for sure. That's going to help Mr. Jordan love. Oh, God, we're, we're going to talk about all that later. Also, I mean, Edmonds, maybe I'm a little salty. He left the Bills, but at the end of the day, I hope, you know, this works out well for him. I hope he keeps playing in the NFL. I think he's a great linebacker. Another big take on this is Jordan Poyer staying with the Bills. Was there a lot of other safeties signing on other teams? Yes. But he took kind of a pay cut. I mean, 12.5 mil for two years, 7 mil guaranteed. For Poyer and his level, it seems like not enough for Poyer. He's been a freak since he started in the NFL. And Bill's taking him on. Him and that hide, that one-two punch, there may, not, there may not be a better safety duo in the back. I mean, they're just a dominant force. Yeah, I would say that's a pretty good take. You said two years, 12.5? Yes. Yeah, 12.5 per year or 12.5 total? Total. Oh, that's a steal for sure. To me, that's a steal. I mean, because again, I'm kind of going to bring this up again because it was similar with Tremaine Edmonds, but with Poyer's time with the Bills, one, two, three, four, five, six years. Sorry, I had to count on my fingers there, folks. But in the six years he's been with the Bills, he's missed only five games. Again, another guy that stays on the field. I mean... If you can sign a guy for that cheap that's going to stay on the field and produce at his level, and then like you said with Micah Hyde next to him, I mean, that's nasty for sure. The Bills are definitely trying to return to the AFC Championship. Yeah, his contract just is mind-boggling to me. To, to put that more in perspective, in terms of annual contract value, he's the 26th highest paid safety in the league. Like, So you're trying to tell me there's 25 people that are valued at a higher performance or contract and Jordan Poyer that's just astronomical and that truly goes to show how much people go to Buffalo and truly love playing in Buffalo and I would say I mean getting Poyer back being a Bills fan obviously huge everybody's thrilled I mean the game against the Patriots he catches that gleam game clinching interception he just constantly shows up for us last year Micah Hyde's out he took a huge role deep and then we keep it going with him I mean he even came out and said this is his home this is where he will play the rest of his career and as a Bills fan, not be happier. I mean, obviously, he took a pay cut, but maybe he took that on purpose. We already saw um, big players, Von Miller, Stefan Diggs, Josh Allen, all already restructuring their contracts. I think the Bills are in it for this year. I think they're looking to go for the Super Bowl this year. It just pains me to hear that as a Packers fan, that their players, you know, want to stay, retire a Bill. Just fucking pains me. So, Cole, I actually have a question for you. Um, since you're a Bills fan, what do you guys call yourselves? Bills Mafia? Correct, yeah. Okay. Uh, do you think that's a factor of Poyer? Do you think he just, like, loves playing in front of you guys? I mean, we see, I mean, for me, I see videos online all the time of Bills Mafia breaking tables and crap. So, like, if they're that intense in the stands, too, I mean, that's got to be a factor. That's got to be fun. Being at Bills, I've been at multiple Bills games, they're a rush. Even when it's minus 20, you're still having fun with the whole group, and the, the stadium is still packed, especially the last couple seasons. But the bigger thing, too, with Bills Mafia is it's not just playing in the stadium, right? I mean, we looked at Josh Allen. They donated all that money for the hospital to add an extra wing, right? Over and over again, we see this happening. They did the same thing with Tremaine Edmonds. This is just this is why people love Bills Mafia is because they actually care for their players. Me and Tyler joked around about this, but I mean, if fans could pay extra to keep people, then the Bills Mafia would be paying millions of dollars to keep people. And sorry, I misspoke earlier. It was Demar Hamlin I meant. 
big old number three taking that big hit obviously it was a huge hit and there was you know fans from both teams at the stadium but demar hamlin they blew up his charity i think it reached what like over 12 mil it's just insane it just doesn't make any sense you know they, their goal was like 100k stuff like that so that's why people love Bill, bills mafia and love to stay there and they're diehard fans we went through a lot of tough years you know i mean we it was we had tyrod taylor you know just back there slinging it away for us hey i love tyrod those first couple of years don't don't crap on him he was all right he did all right for you he took you to the playoffs didn't he First playoffs in 20 years? There you go. Don't crap on Tyrod. He, <laughs> my Chargers, co- uh, what was it, not coaching staff, training staff, stabbed him in the what, the lung or whatever it was like two years ago. That was ridiculous. So don't don't crap on Tyrod, man. He, he took you out to the playoffs. That's all I got. Yeah, it's, it's hard to crap on Tyrod when you had the likes of J.P. Lossman playing quarterback for the Bills. It's, it's, it's tough, too, though. I mean, like, having Josh Allen his first couple of years, not being able to really play that many games, and then finally, like, showing out for us. It's a fun time to be a Bills fan right now, but it was definitely tough for a long time, and I think that's why a lot of players still stay around because it's diehard fans that will do anything for the team. The next guy I want to talk about here is one of the most underrated free agent signings that I've seen so far that really hasn't got as much press as I thought it would, and that's Orlando Brown going to Cincinnati. We all know the struggles of Cincinnati's offensive line over the course of the last two years. You could argue it lost him a Super Bowl two years ago. They have made improvements. You know, they went out and they got Alex Kappa. They got Lael Collins, but this is the biggest signing they have, and in my opinion, it's on a pretty darn good deal. It was a four-year deal worth $64 million, and only 31 of that is guaranteed, so essentially it's a two-year 31 guaranteed deal, or two-year $31 million deal, but the crazy thing to that about that to me, it's, it's only the 10th highest contract for a left tackle, not even all the tackles, but for a left tackle specifically, in my opinion, he, he warrants a higher contract than 10th overall. But what a signing for the Bengals. They really needed it. You know, they, Burrow has a, that blindside protector. Now, what are they going to do with the right side? Are they going to move Jonah Williams to the right side? He's come out and said he doesn't want to do that. Granted, I wouldn't either if there's a 5 to $10 million difference in the pay for him. Um, but they still also do have Leal Collins sitting there. So what they're going to do there is up for discussion. But if you look at it, the Bengals have a pretty solid offensive line. The only real question mark is that left guard with Cordell Volson. But outside of that, you know, you can make an argument they have a top seven, top ten line in the league going into this year. Yeah, and the interesting thing with Orlando Brown, obviously probably underpaid, but, uh, you know, Tyler, you're somebody who follows every free agent pickup and everything like that. You know, I we're talking all the time about it, and you didn't even know this one went through yet. I brought this one up to you, which is kind of a shocker for me even. And even with, you know, Orlando Brown, you can't say he's going to the Bengals to win a Super Bowl. You know, he's taking a pay cut for what? There's no reason for him to be taking a pay cut at this stage right now. Yeah, he's still very young. I mean, you can you can argue that he's he's solidifying his future and still is going to be in Super Bowl contention because the Bengals aren't going anywhere as long as number nine's behind center. And, you know, in his words, the prime of his career is his whole career, which you just, I don't know, I love Joe Burrow personally, his whole swagger, his demeanor, and it's really, really good to see he finally has a solidified person to protect his blind side. I mean, this Bengals offense is crazy as is. Now, we'll see what happens with T. Higgins, but I, this is, like I said, in my opinion, one of the most underrated signings, and you're right, Cole. I didn't even know about it until a day afterwards because it just didn't gain, garner the press that I thought it would. I will say you may say that he's not in it for the Super Bowls per se, but he did tell Burrow, quote, I'm in this for Super Bowls. That is what's most important to me. So, I mean, we'll see. He must believe that there's enough 
left, and I say left because Cincinnati has lost a couple big pieces on the other side of the ball this offseason, but he must believe that there's enough left for the the Bengals to compete with the Chiefs for the AFC Championship because right now it's those two, and then obviously the Bills too. I mean, so I guess we'll just see what happens. I, I think it's a great signing for the Bengals. Yeah, most definitely, and even if he isn't, you know, going to get the Super Bowl. He got it last year. So he has one on the resume already. So that might help with that decision, as you were saying, Cole. Like, it certainly could. But yeah, more so my point there, too, is like, you almost think, you know, he's got a Super Bowl. He's got a lot, which, you know, most players, that's the only thing they care about is getting that Super Bowl. And, like, you know, he's still getting 10th, 10th paid. You kind of think he might have went for more money. You know, he might have went somewhere to get more money. And, yeah, I mean, granted, Smeltz, you just brought that up, that he's going there, he wants to win another Super Bowl. So, that's, I mean, that's intriguing. If you're a Bengals fan, you see him take a pay cut to come over and he still is hungry for a Super Bowl, watch out for the Bengals this year. I mean, why did the Chiefs not resign? Could they just not afford him at that point? I mean, if you're taking that much of a pay cut, they must, because I think he made 16 mil for the, for the Chiefs last year. So, if you're taking that much of a pay cut, I mean... They must not be able to afford you. I mean, you can't just lose a guy like that. And he was already on a one-year deal with them anyway, so I guess for him it absolutely worked out. He not only won the Super Bowl, but also secured, uh, I don't know if I would consider four years long-term, maybe for NFL. I'd say four years is a long-term contract at this point. Um, I mean, he secured the bag playing one year and won the Super Bowl. I mean, I'd be happy with that. Yeah, it's... Uh... You would think at one point in time, four years wasn't a long deal in the NFL, but you very rarely, outside of the quarterback position, see anything more than a four-year deal right now, especially with how the contracts are structured. Any four-year deal is essentially a two-year deal if you look at the guarantees. So it's like all that money is pretty much just front-loaded. You get it up front, and then we all know NFL contracts are kind of a myth right now with all these void years you can add on and restructure. Does the cap even really exist? That's a conversation for another time. But to go back to your point about the Chiefs not being able to afford him one might think that however they signed Jawan Taylor to play who's pretty much played right tackle his whole career to come in and play left tackle and gave him three and a half more million dollars per year than Orlando Brown got with Cincinnati so does that make sense to me no I would definitely take Orlando Brown over Jawan Taylor but the Chiefs could have afforded him because Orlando Brown's natural position is left tackle right so, so that's he... kind of sorry go ahead. I'll go for it so, so that's kind of up for debate, right? So when he was on the, the Ravens, so he played, he, he was projected to be a left tackle and coming out of the draft and going into the NFL. But when he was with the Ravens, the Ravens already had Ronnie Stanley, who was a solidified left tackle, basically an all-pro. So they kicked Brown to the right side. Then Stanley got hurt one year. Brown kicked over to the left side and excelled. You could argue played better than Stanley. And the Ravens didn't want to pay him the left tackle salary to keep him and play right tackle. So they traded him to the Chiefs to play. And then the Chiefs played him as a left tackle. See, that's that's just crazy to me. I don't see why the Chiefs wouldn't lock this guy up long-term if they have the money. I mean, he's 26 years old, 6'8", 340. I mean, he obviously did a good job protecting Mahomes last year. I don't I don't understand. Uh, I guess we'll just find out. But So back to saying how a four-year could be a, considered a long-term contract. I think we might as well consider that a long-term contract because the average length of a player's career in the in the NFL is only 3.3 years. So, I mean, if you're signing a four-year contract, shoot, I guess that's long-term. You, you're making money playing football for four years when other players don't even make it three, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it's a long-term for sure. Four years, 
anybody you see sign four years, Tyler was saying about the cap hit and all that and how you can restructure, but you're seeing so many guys just extending and you don't really see it just get locked down for a long term like that, that four year pinpoint. But playing left tackle though, like it's crazy. The price difference between like a right tackle and a left tackle isn't is insane. And that's what like I coach at a local high school here and we have this freshman that's just a stud already and he, he plays left tackle. It's like we're trying to make sure he folk like gets in the weight room, does doing all the right stuff, you know, because it's like, dude, that's your that's your money maker right there, you know. And Sandra Bullock would a hundred percent agree. I mean, <laughs> I would love for Sandra Bullock to come in and a hundred percent agree. That's totally cool with me. Let you got her number? Yeah, I do actually. Speed dial. All right, we're we're talking after this. We gotta get her in to talk to this kid. The next thing I want to talk about here is not necessarily one player in particular, but a team as a whole, and that's the Denver Broncos. We all know they got Sean Payton in at the helm as the uh, the coach this year, but they made some moves on really day one of free agency in that legal tampering period. Payton builds in the trenches. He made that well-known going out and signing Mike McGlinchey, Ben Powers, and Zach Allen on the first day of free agency. Now, McGlinchey and Powers are on the offensive line. Allen's on the defensive line. But McGlinchey got a five-year, $87.5 million deal with $52.5 guaranteed, which is the sixth highest for a right tackle. And Ben Powers signed a four-year, $51 million deal with just under 30 guaranteed, which is the 10th highest contract for a guard. So altogether, the, the Broncos put together over just under $140 million in their offensive line day one of free agency. That's them showing that, hey, we know we had the struggles last year. We led the league in sacks allowed. We need to put keep Russell upright, and that starts in the trenches. And then you look at Zach Allen on the defensive side of the ball. He's one of the most underrated defensive linemen in the league, in my opinion. He's never really gotten his due. Now, granted, he hasn't had the extreme stat line to have that, but I was happy to see him sign a three-year, $45.5 million deal with 32 and a half guaranteed, which surprising to me was the 11th highest contract for a defensive end. I think that's right right about where it should be for his level of talent. If you look at the guys above him, they definitely are deserving and, and should get that but the Broncos spent some money they also signed Samaji Piran and Alex Singleton which aren't going to make as big of a difference as the other three there but Piran coming in as that third down back you know he spelled Joe Mixon very well last year he's had a pretty good career in Cincinnati so for him to come in and spell Javante Williams and then with Williams injury history if he does go down we know Piran can carry the load from a running perspective and still give you that third down threat and Alex Singleton you know he's just a He's a depth player on the defense. He's going to provide some stability at the linebacker position. But I'm really interested to see what happens with this Bronco offense specifically. As we all know, they were last in scoring and had the 21st total offense. So it was it was pretty abysmal to watch. And uh, I personally am a Russell Wilson fan, so I'd like to see him do better. And I think Sean Payton is the, the best coach you could possibly put him with to have him maximize his career. And really, he's going to show that with this, this first week of free agency. And Pirine, too, you touched on him. I think he was pretty underrated last year. I thought he was a great back. And on top of that, I'm, I'm entirely with you on the Russell Wilson. It was tragic to see him go there and just have a horrific season. Everybody's saying he's overpaid. He's a great quarterback. Just give him a line. Let him work. And I really hope he has a great season this year. So the thing about Russell Wilson that made him so good in Seattle was his escapability, I think. Like, his ability to make plays outside the pocket like similar to Aaron Rodgers um, I mean Rodgers can still do it but and I believe 
Wilson can still do it too, and I think we're going to see that next year. But when he got outside the pocket this year in Denver, it was horrendous, dude. Like straight throwing picks, or he's got guys wide open down the field. Instead, he's taking a sack instead of even throwing the ball away. I mean, so I'm a big Kirk Cousins fan, and watching him in college at Michigan State battle Russell Wilson at Wisconsin, I always love those battles. And Russell was just nasty then, continued it with Seattle. And I think he will go back to it next year. But one thing I can say about Denver that I would do if I were them, I don't know if I would have that dude Cushenberry starting at center. I think if I'm Denver, right now they don't have a first or second round. I would absolutely try to trade up into the early second, if not late first, because you might be able to steal a late first from like the Chiefs or something. But I think you trade up and get, and this might be biased, but he's slated to go first or second round, the center out of the University of Minnesota, John Michael Schmitz, and just see what happens with him. I mean, he's a five, maybe even a six-year starter in the Big Ten. That's enough for me. Yeah, the interesting thing with Denver this year is just that. Is the line going to be able to give him enough time where he can set in the pocket and find those throwing lanes that will open up in this Peyton offense? But you're right. As soon as he got outside the pocket last year, he looked absolutely just flustered, scared, like he just didn't belong. And granted, the offensive concepts weren't the best. Receivers weren't getting open a lot. But there was plenty of times when you have Jerry Judy, who has the catching radius of maybe second to DeAndre Hopkins and just missing him by 5-10 yards like just not something you see out of Wilson and yeah it's just gonna be interesting to see what happens this year yeah missing him by 5-10 yards is definitely not a just miss I mean you're clearly missing that dude so and I think it's gonna be different if they can get him a clean pocket so here's what I'm trying to say I guess if it's a clean pocket and and then he has to escape out of the pocket and try to make a play himself whether it's downfield or with his feet He's going to have a better chance of making a play, whereas if he's running for his life every single snap, of course he's not going to be good out of the pocket because he's already worried about having to leave. So if you do give him a good pocket and then he has to bounce it outside or something to uh, extend the play, I think he'll be much better this year. So I, I agree 100%. They need a clean pocket right now. Yeah, and that's that's the biggest thing is the Broncos had the most sacks allowed last year. So the, the offensive line play was just, just pitiful. But at the end of the day, that was also Russell where in years before he would throw the ball away and he's just eating it and going down. You know, there was so many sacks that he was on the ground and they're just touching him that he just he he very rarely hit the receiver in stride outside the pocket. He either went to the ground, very rarely threw it away, missed the receiver by 10, 15 yards or put it into a tight spot that got picked off. It just wasn't the Russell Wilson I'm accustomed to seeing. And it, it was it was just weird. It was weird. That's funny that you say weird because that's literally what I was going to say. I was going to say it's just weird. Yeah, totally. He's not – it's almost like he's not in the right headspace to be out there. And, I mean, every quarterback in the NFL is probably a head case in general. But if you're good if you can control it. I mean, because everything weighs on you, right? Like if you throw a pick, oh, quarterback, you know, had to have been. Uh, if you get sacked and fumble, oh, that's definitely your fault, you know. So, I mean – Everything there's a lot of pressure on quarterbacks and low key kickers, but that's a whole nother conversation. But so I think he's just hopefully this offseason he was able to clear his headspace and come into the season with a clear mind and a new head coach and diff, kind of a different direction. Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree. I, I really do. He needs to get whatever it was in Seattle that made him click 
needs to come back. Because even if you look at the second half of his last year in Seattle, now that year you can throw an asterisk next to it it because he did have the thumb injury. So he didn't have the throwing prowess that he, he, he couldn't. He was limited, but... You saw the same thing last year as you did that second half of the year with Seattle, and that was with no injury last year. He also, when he was at his best, he also had a ridiculous defense in Seattle too, and there's something to be said about that, of course. Like, how are you not going to go out on the field when it's you know time for the offense to come out with just full of confidence knowing whatever you do, eh, you're probably fine on the, on the defensive drive, the next drive. So, I mean, how do you just, I mean, yeah, we'll see. <laughs> And two, I, I mean, I think the Broncos have a very underrated defense. So I, I think their defense definitely excels. So it, this, that's what's kind of tough because, I mean, Seattle, you could definitely put some of it on the defense. And obviously you're not doing that. But, you know, also the Broncos had that defense for him. He needs to find the way to get the ball to receivers, right? Patrick Sertain, 2023 Defensive Player of the Year, AFC. That's not a stretch by any way, shape, or form. I just don't really see a cornerback winning it with these defensive edge linemen that we have that just the sack numbers they're putting up. Sauce Gardner. But, yeah, he got rookie of the year. He didn't get defensive oh, player you're right. of the year. you're right. You're right. Good call. Yeah. But uh, the, the other thing with that Seattle team as well is every year he was in Seattle besides maybe the last two or three, even the last two or three, they had a balanced run game, right? So they had Marshawn Lynch. He could obviously handle the rock. And even last year with the the Broncos, now granted, Javante Williams got hurt, and he is a productive back when he's in there, but it was just a staple of backs. You had Latavius Murray, Melvin Gordon, Javante Williams. They had some, I think his name was like Adler or something that ended up playing running back for him. So it's just, it's they need to have more of that balanced attack because if you look at the numbers, this surprised the crap out of me, but they were the 18th best passing team in the league last year, 21st rushing. They just couldn't score. So that was their biggest issue. I mean, for there to be a tracker of how many bathrooms Russell Wilson has in his house for his touchdowns on the year is absolutely hysterically funny. But at the end of the day, they just couldn't put the ball in the end zone. Yeah, and I mean, I think all of us can agree. We, we, we wish Russell the best this next year, and we hopefully he can figure it out, and hopefully that team can figure it out because they have a bright future. I mean, you, you, you brought up Gardner. You brought up uh, Sertain. I mean, another big talk we have to do is Ramsey and Waller. Obviously, Ramsey being that other corner going to Miami that's huge that is huge for him to head up over there and uh I don't know like how much better does this make this defense how much better does do you think an addition like Jalen Ramsey makes this team I think it's huge I mean the, the thing about Ramsey is I think he's maybe not undoubtedly at this point the best cornerback in the league I think that's up for debate at this point but what all he does outside of just the cornerback position to affect the game on the defense side of the ball, we touched on his tackles earlier. He pops into the slot. He'll even play at the line of scrimmage covering up a tight end. Just what his Swiss Army knife mentality brings to that defense, the Dolphins don't really have. You know, they got rid of Byron Jones. So if you want to keep Ramsey at corner, you have Ramsey and Xavier and Howard, which is, in my opinion, the best one-two in the league. And really, it's not close, to be quite honest with you, in my opinion. But the ability to move him around the field and they have a young, talented playmaker in Javon Holland at that safety spot where he's just only going to learn from Ramsey, where I think his career is going to take the next step now too. So I think it's a huge, huge addition. And Ramsey, I mean, that's it's exciting. But also, like if you're a Dolphins fan, it's even more exciting. You hate playing against that guy. He is just infuriating to play against. Having him on your team, all the trash talk, how aggressive he is, that's fun to be a Dolphins fan and have that addition. And not only that, just his overall leadership. He's a vocal leader. He puts the team on the back. He doesn't make excuses. 
you know he's just he's an all-around team guy and just his overall just presence as long as it doesn't go like it did in Jacksonville but if he keeps that presence and that that mentality that he had in LA I think he's just going to excel back down in southern Florida so the other thing about the Jalen Ramsey deal is like the details of the trade is kind of weird so uh, LA only got a third round pick and some tight end named Hunter Long so if we look at that trade for Jalen Ramsey remind remind you Compared to, like, Stephon Gilmore, I think that was just a fifth-round pick, right? And Darius Slay was about to be released, and now, obviously, we know he re-signed a deal. What's the better play there if you're comparing those plays? The Stephon Gilmore trade, Jalen Ramsey, or Darius Slay staying with the Eagles? So, I guess my question is, who won? Did the Rams win this trade by what they got back for Jalen Ramsey? Um, Did the Colts get enough for Stephon Gilmore? Or uh, did... um, what was the other one I was just mentioning? Slay. Slay. Or did the Eagles win being able to keep Slay there? Yeah, I mean, it. in my opinion, it's the difference in talent between the three cornerbacks we're speaking of right now. Ramsey's far and away the best one. He's still in the prime of his career. They got It was only a third rounder. Now, I want to know if the details have come out of if L.A. has to keep any of that salary for this year. Because if it was just for a third rounder and some no-name tight end, like that's who wouldn't take that deal? But I think that what, what, I, what I wanted to kind of point on here is Jalen Ramsey going to the Rams kind of started the whole less need, fuck them picks stigma. And now look what he's doing. There's talks of Matt Stafford being traded away. Ramsey just got traded away for just a, a measly third rounder. So I think he's still kind of keeping that idea of fuck them picks because he only got a third rounder for, you know, undoubtedly no questions asked, a top five cornerback in the NFL. 100%. And, yeah, in my opinion, it's, it's, it's the Dolphins all day with any of those three moves. And, uh, yeah, especially the Dolphins 100%. And, and as, as far as fitting a scheme and actually making the team – a much bigger contender for the Super Bowl. It's the Dolphins all day there, and on top, of, like on top of these crazy picks, right? We're talking crazy picks. We're talking third rounders, fifth rounders for great players. We got to bring up the last guy here is Darren Waller, who we already touched on a little bit earlier, but just went for a third round pick to the Giants. And I don't know if you guys saw, but him and Daniel Jones dabbing up when they first met. This is wild. These two, hopefully they get along better than they did the first time around because these two look like fifth graders. I have not seen that. Is it pretty good? It, you got to give it a, you got to give it a watch if you haven't because okay. it, it'll crack you up. It's the most like awkward interaction maybe outside of the Cardinals coach when he met Rondell Moore just going mirror mirror. That was just hysterical, but Daniel Jones is probably the whitest person you could possibly have in in the history of the world. And just that interaction was just hilarious, man. I mean, his name is Daniel Jones. Yeah, I mean, we look we look at it like this too. I mean, we have Daniel Jones who had a big uplift of his season last year. I think he played, just performed a ton better last year than his previous year. And now you got Darren Waller at tight end after just losing Evan Ingram. I think this is a huge upgrade, not only for Daniel Jones as a quarterback, but also for this offense. Oh, 100%. And arguably, it's an upgrade for Darren Waller. I mean, he gets a chance to join a playoff team because, again, it hurts my soul that they beat the Vikings, but... That was a different Giants team. I think Saquon coming back on that franchise tag, he's motivated. I think Daniel Jones on a fresh deal, he's motivated. Bring in Darren Waller, you give him a give him a target now. I think that's interesting. 
Um, one small thing I wanted to bring up with Darren Waller, not to bring like drama into it, right? But apparently, like be, right before the trade, apparently Josh McDaniels, head coach of the Raiders, and Darren Waller were not getting along because apparently McDaniels like allegedly like put something out there about Darren Waller getting married to his WNBA uh, now wife. But yeah, so that that speculation was at the uh, at the draft at the combine. Mm. McDaniels said that, and they didn't want to go public with it. Right. Neither one of them wanted it to be public, and McDaniels came out and said that. But did you see Kelsey Plum's response on Twitter to McDaniels? No. It was funny. So they tweeted, like, it was like, oh, story of the day, whatever it was. Like, the reason Waller went to the, the Giants had something to do with this. And then Kelsey Plum responded. It was something in the lines of, like, this was all because he wasn't invited. That's crazy. Like, to the wedding. I mean, she was just throwing a jab. It was all in, like, she was joking about it, but it was just funny that that's how she responded. It was like she just took a jab at an NFL head coach. And and it's funny because McDaniels was at Max Crosby's wedding, allegedly. So that's why it was kind of a big deal. Like, oh, come on, like, blah, blah, blah. So I think it just got blown out of proportion. But then, like, a day later, kind of after that service, then Darren Waller got traded. Might not have been a day, but it was quickly, not, not that long after that. Um, and he came out, quote, it caught me off guard. That's wild. I don't think it caught you off guard. Like, you kind of figured you were probably leaving Vegas. However, like, he married a w- WNBA player that plays for Vegas. So you kind of were, like, planning on rooting your life there, probably re-signing, you know, whatever. And now you're traded to the Giants. But one one more thing. Or what do you got? Oh, okay. Oh, one more thing I was going to say is the Giants actually reworked Darren Waller's contract today, this morning. So they create the Giants created 7.4 mil in cap space just this morning. Um, so that's pretty freaking cool um, to be traded there, and all of a sudden you're already down to make more space. I mean, to me, that's somebody that's trying to win. Yeah, and everything you just kind of said there about him wanting to stay in Vegas just exemplifies who Darren Waller is and what the the change in his life that he made since he's been with Raiders. I've been a huge Darren Waller fan since like Madden three or four years ago when he was on the Ravens and he had like a 93 speed and there was one play that was broken in the game. You could just score every time if you had a fast tight end. But I've kind of followed his story since then, and he's been on Bustin' with the boys a couple times and just talked about his sobriety and how he found, you know, his headspace back right again, gave up the drugs and alcohol, and then completely turned his life around, and that's when he started being productive in the NFL. So I'm forever a Darren Waller fan. I mean, he even has some pretty good... He, he's a music producer as well, so he, he's, he's a rapper. He makes music, and that's halfway decent as well. Wouldn't say it's as good as his football career. He's definitely in the right profession. But at the end of the day, I mean, to think that he got traded for a third-round pick, too, you know, it was, it's still, it's a bag of balls for these high-profile players. Yeah, this is a top three tight end, arguably. Definitely. When healthy. Yeah, when, that's just it. When healthy, the dude's got to stay on the field, though. But that's funny that you mentioned the third round. Like, why are trades just not valued as high right now? You know, like, it just seems weird that we're getting... Like you said, high-profile players, and it feels like teams aren't giving up much unless a lot of these teams are keeping some of the salary. Maybe that's part of it, but I, I don't know. You guys both said healthy. I mean, we also have Saquon Barkley, who has had his injury ridden. You know, he's been injured all the time. I mean, this is the bad news bears. This is the little giants. You know, if they can figure it out, they could be a real contender. But if not, it's just another season for the Giants. That, that's the thing. It's the Giants this year, they've made some moves to add to this offensive talent. 
They obviously re-signed Daniel Jones, franchise tagged Saquon. They re-signed Darius Slayton and Sterling Shepard, and they brought in Paris Campbell. You know, they're, they're making moves. They're, they're trying to show that they're they're trying to build this team around Daniel Jones. And what better to bring in undoubtedly a top five tight end talent when healthy than Darren Waller. And Brian Dayball is the most underrated coach. I think he was so underrated at Buffalo as an offensive coordinator. And to be honest, I'm a Bills fan, the only New York team. But wherever Brian Dayball goes, I will follow him. I think that guy is amazing. And I love what he did for the Giants this year in that offense. I was just going to say, I, I think sign, re-signing Daniel Jones was huge. I mean, why not take a chance on the guy? I mean, he's brought your franchise back into the playoffs. Yes, they were only at nine wins, but you still won your first playoff game. So I I kind of like them taking that chance on Daniel Jones because I was kind of curious all offseason, like, are they going to sign him? Kind of like the same with the Seahawks and Geno Smith. Like, I was curious. It was like, are they going to sign him or not? And they decided to take a chance on him on a four-year deal, and I think it's totally worth it. You might as well find out what he's got yeah i would wholeheartedly agree i mean he's he's a he's a top six pick so you have you've invested very high draft draft capital in the guy he hasn't really had a solid foundation behind him in the front office or coaching staff since he's been there he has one year under brian dayball and he gets a 40 million dollar deal like it's that it just in my opinion he just needed the structure around him and he needed a coach that was truly bought into him and can find ways to maximize his potential we always knew he had the running prowess. Now, he's not Lamar by any means, but he has the running prowess. And Dayball was able to come in and schematically just find avenues and ways that he can get the ball downfield a little bit and then still have that, that read option type ability. And then with Saquon doing what Saquon did this year, that obviously helped kind of lighten the load. But, yeah, it's it's I, I'm a huge Brian Dayball fan as a whole, but I think this is going to be a huge move for the Giants. Do, does Daniel Jones kind of feel a little bit like Eli Manning to you? Like same type of like how he carries himself type of deal and then even his play on the field? Or am I just like seeing blue with the Giants and like off base there? I think you got to make some sort of comparison. I mean, Eli, you know, he had they have each other's numbers. When he made it to the playoffs, he was taking advice from Eli. He definitely has that mentorship play style. I would argue it's, it's it's different, but I mean, as far as like the headspace, the way they approach the field, they approach the game, they read the game. I mean, it's like every quarterback, you know, when you have great quarterbacks, followed Garoppolo and Tom Brady, right? You're going to keep a lot of that same mental. So I think in that pace, yes. Yeah, I, w- I would agree with you there. I mean, different play styles, I would say completely, just because Daniel Jones is like Eli Manning never had a running prowess. Hey, whoa, 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 whoa. Eli had his moments, though. He would he would take off sometimes. I'm not saying he's, you know, a speedster by any means, but... The, the difference there, though, Eli Manning has never once had a defense put a spy on him. Fair enough. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah. <laughs> that actually cracks me up. Yeah, if a defense ever put a spy on Eli Manning, that would absolutely crack me up. Yeah, I mean, a spy on Eli Manning just means Eli's going deep, right? I mean, Eli's going deep. He's no Lamar Jackson, but neither is Daniel Jones. But, I mean, yeah, definitely different. But he'll catch you off guard. He'll take off and run and 10, 20 yards. I mean, yeah, he's a, he'll at least get you a first down when you're not planning on it. He's Tom Brady, right? He's smart. You know, understands football. He'll see when there's a huge hole opens up. He'll run up and take those extra yards. He's not the same quarterback as Tom Brady, obviously. But, like, oh, the, the okay. whole running thing. I mean, if you're talking about running styles, him and Tom Brady, very similar in this fact that, like, oh, nowhere else to go. Might as well run up and get three yards. Are you meaning Daniel Jones or Eli right now? He's meaning Tom Brady. I mean Eli and Tom Brady as far as running. 
Okay, okay, oh, okay. That okay. I agree. I thought okay. you were comparing Daniel Jones and Tom Brady's running right now, and I'm that's like, what I, that's what no. I got. Out of that. Okay, okay, good, good. Okay, sweet. Yeah, we're on yeah. the same page now. All I was saying there was. Eli Manning, Tom Brady, the way they run is the same way. Yes, Eli may break off for 20. So will Tom Brady. But guess what? It's going two miles an hour, and it's where there's nobody within 35 yards. For sure. No, I got what you're saying. So, I mean, as far as it all goes, definitely could be a huge year for the Giants this year. Hopefully they shape up to something. I mean, they have the coach. They have the offense now. They've had the defense, you could argue. So we'll see what they do. They definitely have the defense. They were a top... 10 you could argue top five defense last year wing martindale is just really really good at what he does all right fellas enough about the free agency and offseason news so far let's talk about a little bit about the best remaining free agents we're going to take some time here and just pick out one player maybe two players or a position group that we want our personal home favorite teams here to target I'm going to kick this segment off, and we all know the Packers are in desperate need of some receiving threats. We have a really good tight end still on the market in Dalton Schultz, and then a kind of a wide array of receivers available, with the biggest one being OBJ, but let's be honest, he's not coming to Green Bay. But I think someone like Dalton Schultz would be a good fit. We don't have a solidified tight end on our team with Robert Tunyon signing with the Bears. I just think Dalton Schultz would give us some stability at the position, bring some veteran leadership into our receiving room, and give Jordan Love that target on third down in that seam where he can just find that big target across the middle so he doesn't have to look for those young weapons on the outside. But I would I would love a Dalton Schultz signing. Even something a little bit less noticeable, an Austin Hooper would come in and bring that veteran leadership and still give us that seam, that third down target. He's just not going to stretch the field as much as someone like Dalton Schultz. Me, myself, being a Bills fan, right now it's kind of over the place. Obviously, we lost Edmonds, but I think the biggest thing, we haven't signed back Singletary yet. A huge addition would be somebody like Zeke. Now, Zeke is great. I don't think he's the biggest addition we can make. Obviously, I think we can make some moves and go after like a Dalvin Cook, but we'll see what happens. I would be more than happy still with Zeke. Yeah, so first off, Dalvin's not going anywhere. First off, as far as I know, right? And I would love to have him here. I love him and Madison being a one-two punch, kind of similar to Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon in uh, Green Bay. Uh, and as far as Zeke goes, I think that would be an amazing signing for the Buffalo Bills. He is second in red zone rushing touchdowns behind only Jamal Williams, who had 14, Zeke had 12. If you include receiving touchdowns for running backs and then receivers and then Travis Kelsey because no other tight end was close, Zeke still comes out to be third overall in red zone touchdowns with only Eckler passing him up because Eckler had like five receiving touchdowns or something like that. So... I think that would be a good move for the Bills. As far as my Vikings go, I'd love for them to sign OBJ. Uh, he would pair well with JJ, KJ, TJ, put OBJ in there. I think that would go well. I don't see it happening, but I'd be cool with it. I think the Viking. I would love the Vikings to sign Gardner Johnson. Again, I don't think we have any room right now to make a move like that. But Cameron Bynum, Bynum is not it. Harrison Smith is getting older. Gardner Johnson is young. Lock him up. Again, probably not going to happen. I see him going to Cincy or the Dolphins, and the Dolphins are going all in. I mean, they're taking full advantage of Tua's rookie contract. You see them trade for Jalen Ramsey. I do see Gardner Johnson signing there next week or sometime in the near future, and then him teaming up with Jalen, Xavier Howard, Javon Holland. I mean, God, I mean, I, watch out for the Dolphins for sure. But as far as my Vikings go, 
don't look for them to make any more moves as far as adding key names. Well, as a Packers fan, Smelty, I hope you don't get any of the guys you just noticed. Your team is right where it needs to be for the Packers to take that NFC North crown. That's why the Packers will finish last in the NFC North next season. Doubt that, but that's for a conversation for another day. Um, But I had an absolute pleasure today, boys. One thing to note is we are recording this episode on St. Patrick's Day. won't be released for until next week. So if any of these players do get signed, obviously just take that with a grain of salt. And we do apologize. We can't predict the future. But I had an absolute pleasure today, boys. Can't thank you guys enough for joining me. And can't thank you all enough for listening to us here at home. Until next time, fellas. Don't forget to follow, like, and subscribe. Tune in next time for more banter with the boys.